everyone. Welcome to episode 10 of What Are You Watching? We made it to double digits. Look, Ma, I made it. My name is Alex Withrow, and I'm joined, as always, by Nick Dilstel. How you doing there, Slick? <laughs> I'm excited to be here. You're damn right you are. It's a fun. It's going to be a fun episode today. We're talking about favorite L.A. movies, and I think when we came up with this idea, we thought it was going to be easier to make these lists than it actually was. Yeah. <laughs> but we've had a hell of a fun time texting each other back and forth over the past two weeks. Like, oh, don't forget about this one. Don't forget about this one. And we kind of started our internal discussion on what makes a great L.A. movie, because it's a really simple question with a really complicated answer. Yeah, that's that's very true. Yeah. If we're painting with the broadest brush possible, we could include any movie that's set in Los Angeles. But we're trying to hone it in more than that. And that still gives us a number of different categories. We could talk about classic L.A. noirs, movies about movies in Hollywood, crime movies that have nothing to do with the, quote, business, or movies that inexplicably capture the fleeting, magical nature of Los Angeles, which exists but can be really hard to bottle up and contain. Yeah, absolutely. And um, because I've lived in Los Angeles now for, um, oh, my God, probably close to 12 years, I think. And you were out here for about three, four? Four, yeah. Four, yeah. So, you know, I feel like in that time when you live in any city, you, you get to know it on, um, <laughs> you get to be on intimate terms with this city you live in, as uh, Sam Shepard would say. I remember kind of bringing up this topic because I saw the Safdie brothers on the Criterion channel, and they were talking about New York movies, and they're from New York, so... They know New York on the way that they know it. And, of course, the Safdie brothers are just shooting out movies a mile a minute. It was, it's, it's hilarious. Anyone who has the Criterion Collection, it, they're, a, they're a trip to watch and listen to. They're great. But I was like, all right, well, I know that about L.A. And Alex knows that about L.A. So let's do an L.A. conversation. We went back and forth trying to define, quote, an L.A. movie. And then we just decided to leave it up to our own interpretation so these picks are not ranked we're going to be talking about them i think someone listening to this could have 10 completely different movies than we have and i should say up top that we have not conferred on these lists i don't know what you're going to list or just talk about and neither do you so throw one at me let's get started um i'll start with the movie that i think upon moving to los angeles was the first movie that i identified my personal life to in relationship to the city and that was Swingers. Hell yeah. Swingers just, I mean, it, it, it was actually kind of like looking back at it because I rewatched it. It is very surreal because um, so much of exactly what was going on in that movie was exactly my first year out here going through a breakup and, you know, being tortured like um, John Favreau is. Well, we should say you were you were going through a breakup like an East Coast breakup in new york yeah so is he in the movie right isn't he yeah he's from new york so it was like this long distance breakup that he just couldn't get over i couldn't get over i was annoying all my friends with it you know and even scenes where you know they're all they're doing is playing video games and that was what me and my boys did we played video games we went out to different like la places and tried to pick up girls, never worked. Don't have any money. Don't have any money. Like, so much of that rang true in a way that I... I remember that movie was almost like therapy when I was watching it, because I, when you identify with something so much like that, you, you just sort of kind of be like, okay, 
all right, I'm not alone here. Everything's going to be okay. And, you know, it's great to have that relationship with movies. And plus, I mean, not to mention just the movie itself is just so much fun. I mean, your money, baby. Your money, you don't even know it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a total blast. I, I had this one to list as well. I'm not surprised that we both have it. Perhaps it's obvious to list, but when you move to the Los Feliz section of Los Angeles, where a lot of this movie takes place, in your late 20s, as both of us did, I don't see how you walk away not loving this movie. I mean, yeah. it is so of its place and time. People are going to be able to watch Swingers forever, and it will be a perfect encapsulation of Los Angeles in the 90s. It just will. Everything about it. I mean, the bar they go to a lot, the Dresden, is still there. It's still kicking. Yep. You and I went. It's great. The the couple that it looks the same, the couple that performs in Swingers, Marty and Elaine, they're still there performing. And yeah. They, like, exactly. It's such a kick to go and just see them. And you're there and you're like, man, this is where Swingers was. And they, they didn't have any permits to film here. And it, I don't know. So that's that's a great L.A. movie. It's a great L.A. movie. And, you know, it brings up an interesting point to kind of segue into whatever we end up talking about next. But the um, one thing that I think that will keep coming up throughout this conversation is the history of Los Angeles. So taking just an example, like one establishment is the Dresden and how, you know, Marty and Elaine have been playing for however many years and they're still doing it. This is a city that changes all the time. And I think you really appreciate the things that are constants. Yeah. They become very, very meaningful. And um, that's an interesting, I never even, I, I remember when I was rewatching, I go, oh my God, they're still playing. And I had a special place for them now all of a sudden because of that. Yeah. And they'll talk to you. I've gone, I went there several times and just had great conversations with them about swingers, about LA, about their music, just anything. My first pick, I'm going to take us back a little farther to Sunset Boulevard, 1950, Billy Wilder. Oh, perfect. History. Yeah, exactly. And there are many, many great LA noirs, uh, Double Indemnity, In a Lonely Place, Kiss Me Deadly. Sunset Boulevard has to be my favorite. I mean, it really shows you what even back then the film business could do to people and how people were just willing to literally die for it to make some sort of career for themselves. One little funny thing about this movie that I like, this doesn't have anything to do with L.A., but Monty Clift, anytime I can mention Monty Clift on the podcast, he's got to be mentioned. Get him in there. He, yeah, he was cast for in the lead role and dropped out right before they started shooting. No, he did not. Yeah, which enraged Wilder, and he offered it to William Holden. I mean, we're talking like days before they started shooting. Wow. And William Holden's never been better. It's a good movie with Clift, but it's completely different because that's pre- a place in the sun that is young baby clift I, I i love envisioning that but that's not to take anything away from holden who's great likewise gloria swanson iconic role never better and it has some great cameos from cecil b DeMille, hedda hopper buster keaton all playing themselves so definitely sunset boulevard a lot of fun to watch if you're a fan of the city because you see they're driving by things that are still there like you're talking about these kind of la mainstays that are still there and there's never a bad time to put on Sunset Boulevard. Never. And um, uh, one thing that I really like about that movie that I remember I, I saw after I was living here was um, the street Sunset Boulevard that he spins out on. That's the Sunset Boulevard that like takes you into like Bel Air and all of those areas. And it's such a specific drive because I love to floor it as much as I can. down. There's like certain streets in Los Angeles that whenever I get the chance to just go for it, I do. 
<laughs> and that is one of them. It looks so different, but I could tell that's where it was. And I go, oh my God, look how much it's changed. Yeah. What do you got next? I want to talk about this movie that came out a few years ago called Too Late, uh, 2015. Oh yeah. Good call. John Hawks. Yeah. Yeah. John Hawks and directed by um, Dennis Houck. I saw this movie, it came out because it was all filmed on actual film. And the movie is just a, a compiled about maybe four or five scenes of just long takes. I think it's five. That, so the whole movie's five shots. That's it, right? Five shots. Yeah, yeah. And it's so cool. And it speaks to the noir elements. It's a great, great example of Los Angeles. I remember I was watching it because I believe this was in pre-production of um, my short film, There I Go, which you can see on my website, nicholasdostal.com. Nice. And the director was there talking with the cast members, and he was literally traveling, and this is as indie as it gets, he was traveling with the film to movie theater. He'd rented out a movie theater for about a week or two, however long he could get it. And he'd move on to a different city. Like a genuine roadshow, like an old school roadshow type of presentation. That's awesome. Yep. He wanted this movie the way that he wanted it. And fortunately, it's actually on Netflix now. So it did, was able to get out there so you can see it. I love long takes. I love, uh, there's actually a really funny story about um, the opening take, which is probably the most complicated uh, shot of the whole entire movie. And let me just interrupt for a second. If you are interested in cinematography, go check this out because I do not know the the millimeter lens. They they must be using like a 3000 millimeter lens because it zooms in so fucking far. Like it's really, really cool how they do. It's very it's a very controlled movie. Very indie, but very controlled. Very. And they had uh, the perfect magic take. Yeah. And uh, they check the gate as the old time. Cruz used to say. Which means you check to see if there's no dust, hair, anything on the actual like film itself. Yep. Which isn't a term anymore if you're shooting digitally. So yeah. And there was. There was dust and hair and it ruined the whole entire take. Oh God. Brutal. Because that's probably like 15, 20 minute take or longer even. Yep. And they only had one day to shoot all of this. So I think they, if I'm not mistaken, I mean, this was about five years ago, but I believe they said they did about maybe like six takes of it altogether. I mean, that's, that's, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, but this movie is fantastic and it's a great depiction of Los Angeles. And uh, I, I can't highly recommend it more. Uh, Dennis Houck, Too Late. It's on Netflix. Check that one out. That's a great one. I One that I didn't, expect so but it's a good reminder to go check it out again next for me is chinatown 1974 roman polanski i don't there's not much more i can add to the conversation of this masterpiece i mean it's a fucking movie about water in 1930s los angeles it's a very dense film that takes several viewings to reveal itself to you i still don't think i know everything that's going on in it um but holy hell it has the la magic that we're talking about i mean yeah it does costumes lighting production design the way nicholson and dunaway are playing off each other it's 
I had the chance to see this movie on the big screen a few years ago when I lived in LA and it was one of the best movie going experiences of my life. I, I love Chinatown so much. Great LA movie. Chinatown's great and it does have that magic. It's got that untan that's I think the thing about the LA magic is that it's not a tangible thing. It isn't. It's not anything you can really explain, but you know when it's present. You know when you're feeling it when you live in the city and you know when it's being represented in a movie and um it it's in Chinatown big time weirdly <laughs> it is <laughs> I'll move on to um Neon Demon nice yeah this movie so I I kind of broke down my certain kind of themes of Los Angeles to um there is a removal of reality to this city I think Neon Demon is a really great example of, um, it's a Los Angeles nightmare uh, with the worst people, but with the best aesthetic look that I could probably think of when I think of Los Angeles at night, those dark feelings. uh, The club scene in particular, I think is one of the coolest lit scenes I've ever seen. And if you've been in Los Angeles um, and you've been to clubs, I mean, that's that's it. That movie, like, is one of those L.A. ones that he's he's bordering on parody a little bit in the way it's constructed. But then you watch it. Yeah. And you kind of you're like, I, I know what he's doing. He's 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 definitely saying something about this industry. But I think some of this is a lot more realistic than people think. I mean, of course, the movie is way over the top. I'm not talking about the shit at the end. I just mean <laughs> the cutthroat industry of it like yeah that's that's a really really good pick uh we're both filmmakers so i often think about budget that movie was made for five million i think that's insane wow no way looks like a five million dollar movie no so great pick love that movie favorite reffin me too favorite reffin more than drive it is i knew that we saw that we saw the premiere of that movie yep in los angeles in los angeles yes um I'm going to keep it a little dark, too, and slow things down with Boys in the Hood, 1991, John Singleton. And I know we've been talking about magic a little bit, and this doesn't necessarily fit into that. Boys in the Hood was an extremely important film for me, nonetheless. It captures certain communities in Los Angeles in a raw, with a raw, honest intensity that no movie did before, and very, very few have come close to doing since. Uh, And look, I saw this movie at a really young age, and I'm glad I did because it gave me a lot of perspective and useful insights into how this country systematically sets up certain people to lose and to fail. And I I had never seen anything like this before, and I just got it. I got all the conversations about gentrification, about not – I mean, I never heard of the word gentrification, so I had to look it up after because Lawrence Fishburne is talking about it a lot. I'm like, what does that mean? It's a very, very intense movie. It's very important. I love it to death. I had a, I actually had the chance to see that on the big screen as well at the Arclight in Sherman Oaks. And John Singleton did a, like a, he introduced it. But before that, he was just kicking it in the lobby with a bunch of people who were getting ready to go see Boys in the Hood. And I got to talk to him for like five minutes. And he was so nice and just normal. And I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a white boy who grew up in like the middle of bumfuck nowhere. His movie was my first perspective into the world he was depicting and i let him know that and he really appreciated that and it was you know he's gone now so just rest in power john singleton but yeah boys in the hood that's right up there with one of we're venturing into like an all-timer movie i love this movie fantastic movie and you're very right i mean we're talking a lot about this idea of los angeles 
you know, the idea versus the reality. Mm-hmm. The reality is, is that this city is mostly more that than anything else. Yes, exactly. Hollywood is an idea. Boys in the Hood is what it is. Yeah. And um, and I think that's a very, very important distinction and great call because it's a great movie and speaking to everything that's going on now. And it makes movies like Boys in the, he- Boys in the Hood even more telling and more important to check out. So do that. Let's bring it up a little bit, or unless you still have a downer. I don't know. What do you have next? No, I'm going to go in the complete opposite direction. <laughs> as white as it can possibly get. Oh, God. With La La Land. <laughs> well, and from 2016? From 2016. You're fucking with me. No, I'm not. Directed by Damien Chazelle. Yes. Wait a fucking minute. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. We are in episode 10 of what I'm... Okay, so I live near Washington, D.C. Nick lives still in Los Angeles, and we are... We record these remotely, but we are looking at each other (laughs) via our iPhones, and you look defeated, but you look like you're telling the truth. So let me give a little fucking... I can't believe this is happening. (laughs) Let me give a little fucking context here. La La Land, I see it in 2016 at the Cinerama Dome in Los Angeles. The magic of that kind of wore off on me, and I, I really connected with the movie as well. You did not like this movie. You were not a fan of it, and you were nice to me at the time because you didn't want to like <laughs> crush my feelings. But in the years since, it has led to us essentially saying, hey, how about we don't bust each other's chops for movies we like anymore? Because <laughs> you used to like kind of tear my ass up about liking La La Land, but... If you are serious, and this isn't a bit, I am genuinely proud of you because you're including a movie that you don't necessarily like, but that is very appropriate for this list. I'm sorry for hijacking your pick. I didn't even fucking list that movie because I thought you would have laughed me off. So, yes, let's talk about La La Land. Please, tell me your thoughts. This is nothing against the movie. I actually think that La La Land is an extremely well done movie. I just cannot stand musicals. I just I hate them. Yeah, it was weird that I connected to that one, but I have a difficult time with musicals. I'll stop talking. Go ahead. I'm, I'm, I cannot wait to hear this. I respect <laughs> the genre. I respect the talent and artistry that goes into creating musicals, whether it be on film or on stage. But I don't understand when people just break out into song. It just takes me out. And Now, if the whole entire movie is one long song... I could kind of get it behind it, I think, because I can understand, okay, this is the reality. But when you put reality into the into the story and then all of a sudden it goes off into song, I just, I can't. And um, that all being said, this movie, if you, if there's one movie on this list that captures the magic of Los Angeles, and it's both its idea and it's actual pure form. It's La La Land. Yeah. And anyone who lives here, I think, gets a bigger kick out of this movie because of some of like the really, really specific locations and references that it makes. To me, is what actually makes my heart resonate with the movie. You know, when Emma Stone is walking down Argyle from the Hollywood Hills party, Ugh. you see the the graffiti in the painting. You know exactly where that is. It's never represented in any movies. Shutting down the 10 in the beginning of the movie to know what that actually means. And, and, and the fact that there was no digital effects used for that, like, that's, that's just crazy. I mean, I lived there during that time when they did that. And I would hear people complain for a few months after, like, 
this fucking movie had me stuck on the tent for like <laughs> hours and hours or stuck just somewhere. So I listened to the commentary of that movie and the, the addition of that scene was an incredibly late addition to that movie, if you can believe that or not. Wow. Which is nuts that they almost cut it because then you wouldn't even have a musical performance for a pretty long time into the movie. And that's why. But I think that's really cool that you included it. I really like that movie. I, I definitely think it has a magic to it that you're talking about. I Okay, here's one thing I'll say about movie about musicals. Shit, this must have been like 12 years ago or so. I said the the kind of the thing you just said about how I have trouble with them breaking into song, stuff like that. And I told that to my dad, and my dad in his incredibly understanding and empathetic way said, "Good point. You're allowed to feel however you want to feel about him. But let me give you a little context." He said, when these big musicals became a thing, even like Busby Berkeley way back when, or American in Paris, Gigi, you know, whatever they were, when they broke into those musical numbers, that was equivalent to an action scene in today's movies. They cannot afford to do action scenes back then. So to like wistfully take people away and transport them, that's one of the ways that they could do it. And that kind of made sense to me because in the 50s, you don't have movies of shit like blowing up or, you know, there isn't really like a lot of escapism in movies back then. And musicals were that musicals are really pop popular in America in the 50s. And that's directly after World War Two. And I think a lot of people wanted that kind of escapism. So that does make me appreciate them a little bit more. But yeah, they're not going to be my first thing to turn on. And like I said, I do appreciate them. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I just, they're, they're just one of those things that's not for me. Yeah, it, but I will say if I am ever going to watch a musical, um, I'll watch a Damien Chazelle musical. Fair enough. I'm going to keep things light too. And I do not believe, and this is the one movie I'll say that I don't think any LA movie list is complete unless you include this. And that would be la story directed by mick jackson in 1991 oh yes written by steve martin it's the great la satire to me maybe even besting valley girl the player get shorty you name it steve martin wrote the screenplay and he stars in it and every line of dialogue cuts exactly how it's intended to genuinely one of the funniest movies i've ever seen i watched it before i lived in la it is much better if you've lived there and watch it after because more things land for you. But I know you had a lot of fun with this one because you watched it for the first time a few days ago. Last night. Yeah, I do. I was not expecting to go on the ride with this movie that I did. It's so much fun, man. It's so on the nose in the best possible way of Los Angeles to earthquake scene where the tables are shaking and nobody cares and everyone asks <laughs> yeah. everyone asks for a lemon with a twist it, it i mean there's so many little things about that movie that they're little digs into the reality and that was 1991 yep it exists today and i'm sure it existed way before and so great call i love that movie i, I had so much fun with it i mean this movie's gonna come up in the list once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Sure, of course. You know, even though that movie took takes place in the 1960s, 1969, it looks exactly like 1969. The fashions, the colors, all of that are very, very specific to that time period. But that movie rings true to Los Angeles. I can't even really explain how it does because I'm like, I wasn't alive in the 60s. How do I feel this attached to my city? with this movie. This is one of those things where I've realized besides the removal of reality like I was talking about earlier, 
there is to me in Los Angeles a happy, curious, enchanted loneliness to this city. And I think this movie touches on exactly that, and that's why it resonated so strong. I'm very fucking happy you said that, because I'm not trying to cause any shit right now, but what you just described is exactly what is portrayed in the Sharon Tate character. And that is why I love that performance. I know a lot of people didn't, but the magic, the mystery, the enchantment of Los Angeles is all right there, and that's why... I thought that was a really strong performance and it really meant a lot to me, but I know people had issues with it. But for me, that movie is successful in a lot of, in a lot of ways. I think we've talked about this on this podcast before too, but my favorite scene of that movie is a dude fucking driving home. Yes. And that is credited to production design, which won an Oscar for, thank God. Yeah. Amazing cinematography, Brad Pitt's kind of blank face. And it's, that's my favorite four minute stretch of the movie cruising down Hollywood Boulevard, cruising to Van Nuys, back to his trailer. It's just like, that's LA. Here it is. Driving in Los Angeles is is such a key component to living here. Your relationship to the road, your relationship to all of the streets that you go down over and over and over. To me personally, that why I call this place home is because I find joy in all of those drives. I do too. And that comes across. Interesting segue because my next pick is my favorite L.A. crime thriller, period. And that's Heat, 1995, Michael Mann, De Niro, Pacino. Yeah. Now, this is not a movie that's concerned with the business of L.A. at all or really with the magic of it. It's just a great fucking L.A. movie. Michael Mann really likes Los Angeles and he, you know, Heat captures the same LA that like Nightcrawler does. You're going to places you don't see a lot. Yeah. And I really like that. And the reason why I'm kind of kind of chuckling is because although Michael Mann does lo- love Los Angeles, his movies have a little tricky time with geography because and here's a really good example. <laughs> yeah. De Niro in the fucking movie like lives on the beach for no reason in the no furniture apartment, but the job is downtown and it's like, dude, you are spending hours in your car like fucking hours in traffic but these are the things we let go for la movies a lot of la movies you just have to flub the geography because who wants to watch a movie with robert de niro sitting in a car bitching about traffic like listening to am radio which is probably what neil mccauley did i you know i don't know or listening i was gonna say a podcast about metals but podcasts wouldn't exist back then but you know anyway (laughs) that's my that's my heat rant i'm I love Heat. It's one of my favorite crime movies of all time. So it captures L.A. really well, bottom line. Absolutely, it does. It really does, especially the the night scenes in Heat. Yeah. The night scenes in L.A. really ring true to me. And I just thought of this right now. Um, a, a movie that I, I just watched that in terms of thinking about night was um, The Long Goodbye. Oh, yeah. If, if For my money, if you just watch the first 15 minutes of this movie... That, to me, is you get a slice of Los Angeles. So this is Robert Altman, I believe 1973? Yeah. Yeah, all right. I'm getting better at these years. <laughs> and it's a, uh, it's a take on the noir um, Los Angeles Hollywood, you know, detective type guy. And, you know, this is an interesting one because in the 70s, you know, we kind of removed the noir, mm-hmm. you know, element in a lot of Hollywood movies. So to kind of come back to it, it's a little risky. And this one's very funny. You got Elliot Gold in a... The way he talks to himself... <laughs> it's all he does. 
He's got the cat. He's just like shuffling around. He's like, yeah, whatever. He's just shuffling around. But that Hollywood Hills apartment has got to be one of my favorite homes in any movie I've ever seen. It's great. And the way that the attention is given to it, the girls right down the way, this like you would never believe that a structure like this would exist. But that's what's so L.A. about it is that if up in the hills... That's exactly. There's elevators down, you know, to go up and down these ridiculously linked buildings together. And I I do find that there's a lot of when you have to go out into Los Angeles in the middle of the night to go grocery shopping. Don't know what that is. But for me, like, I kind of really resonate with that. Yeah. You know, and this the opening of this movie is he goes to get cat food. Uh, Big Lebowski, like the same thing, like these very like empty grocery stores in the middle of the night there's something about la that about that that just kind of like gets me i don't know why we've talked about this I, for me because some of my favorite scenes of your movie that you mentioned there i go we shot it like three four in the morning in los angeles and that is a really really weird time in that city because it's yeah. a very vibrant city there's always traffic everywhere and then there's just like this quietness like the bars are closed People are home. The people who are out, if they're walking around, are people you don't probably want to be talking to. I, I mean, you know, they, they they have a reason that they're out. Yeah. It's just, it's weird. It's still in an eerie way. And that, yeah, that movie gets it. That it really does. Yeah, I really enjoyed that one. I'm really glad you mentioned an Altman movie because I didn't have any on mine, which felt like a disservice because we have a long goodbye, the player, shortcuts, great LA director. Next for me is... L.A. Confidential, directed by Curtis Hansen. Yes, I'm so glad you brought this movie up. This movie, it just moves, and it's fun, and it's exciting, and it never gets old, and it, it's kind of edited into, there's a lot going on, but everything lands beautifully. You have really good actors who are known for playing good people, playing real shitholes like James Cromwell. You have intense actors playing good guys. I mean, I love everything about the vibe of this movie it'll never get old i don't even have much more to say about it it's just it is to me a perfect it's a perfect film i couldn't agree more i i think uh i always believe that there's um no perfect movies like note n-o-t-e they do everything right the whole way through um it's very rare to get a note perfect movie yeah and i think la confidential is one of them and i love i fucking love one of the last scenes of this movie i love tough guy men who haven't gotten along and they fucking connect and when they like shake hands guy pierce and russell crowe and guy pierce just goes yeah that's i mean and then they they drive off i god i love that movie it's so good you're next what do you got so i'm I'm gonna give a shout out to um one of our big common interests to brett easton ellis hell yeah uh for less than zero now, what I kind of want to bring up about this movie is not even necessarily the movie, even though the movie is a great depiction of a very, very specific world of Los Angeles, particularly set in the 1980s with money and drugs and youth. But what I really kind of want to point out personally is that anyone who gets a chance to um, might be interested in Brett and Ellis. Read that book. Yeah. Um, that book resonated with me in Los Angeles in ways that I still think about. Um, he has chapters in that book where he's just driving. He's just talking about 2 a.m. He's on the 101, but he decides he's just going to get off on uh, Woodman and go down Ventura. And I find it very interesting 
that someone who like him who knows the city that well knows exactly why he's doing that. He's not just listing someone driving. He's like, nope, for the people who know, they'll know. And anyone else, you'll have to come here in order to find out. It sounds like, I don't want to put words in your mouth, that you're recommending the movie with an asterisk to like moreover read the book. Yeah. It, it was a really hotly contested adaptation. They changed, a lot. They, they basically got scared because the book is fucking intense and it yeah. takes you to some really dark places that you wouldn't be able to depict in a movie even now, honestly. So that's a good call. Whether it's book or movie, that's a great call. So next for me is a sprawling epic I'm not going to build it up anymore. It's Magnolia, 1999, PTA. This is interesting because for an L.A. movie list, I feel like you have to mention PTA. He's made four really great ones, Boogie Nights, Punch Drunk Love, Inherent Vice, and Magnolia. Magnolia, to me, of the four, it captures the L.A. we're talking about the best. Boogie Nights might capture the valley really well. And, you know, in researching this list, I saw Inherent Vice pop up on a lot of LA, a lot more LA movie lists than I thought it would. And that's, I need a little more time with it. I need a few more viewings, but Magnolia to me is clunky and messy, but it all works in every way. I know people have issues with it. Paul Thomas Anderson even admits to having some issues with it. He said he's, he would take out 30 minutes now. Well, okay. Okay. If Paul Thomas Anderson has famously said that 30 minutes should be cut out of the movie, which in my interpretation means you have to cut a story. So if you had to cut one, which one do you think you'd cut? I know I'm getting a little off track. No, it's a, it's a good question. It's a really hard question. Yeah, we'll leave it in the air for the viewers to think, or viewers, the listeners to think about. But I like the movie as is a lot. I wouldn't change anything about it. It, it only takes place over like two days and it hits LA so well. And it just, I, I love that movie. I think it's a great mosaic of Los Angeles. And you know what? I It just occurred to me as you were talking about it, I think so visually. So a lot of my picks, I'm sure, as Edinburgh can tell, are very visual based. So locations, feelings. But what is true about Los Angeles in that movie, to your point, is um, the characters. Mm-hmm. Those are all Los Angeles characters. And I never actually thought about that until you just said it. It just kind of all kind of hit me. Every one of those characters speaks to a certain type of person who lives in this city, and that's not exactly all the time. You do have the sweetness and genuine qualities of someone like John C. Riley and Philip Seymour Huffman, yeah. who are here to genuinely do good. Mm-hmm. And then you've got people who are just batshit crazy, like Julianne Moore, who... If there's one scene that th- that I think of Los Angeles the most, it's the scene with her in the drugstore where she's just letting loose on these guys. You fucking asshole. <laughs> yeah, you fucking yeah, asshole. Yeah, just this entitlement, this absolute batshit crazy reaction. I mean, but that exists here. Good call. Like, I never really thought of that as an L.A. movie until I started thinking about the characters. And that's that's Los Angeles. Michael Bowen's character. He's yeah. Michael Bowen's character who plays the dad of Stanley. How many fucking like middle aged dudes have you met in that town who are struggling to get like roles? Oh, yeah. And who have kids and kids come in second. I've met a lot of those guys. It captures a lot of different people. The opportunism of Tom Cruise, who doesn't probably really believe in a lot of what he's espousing, but is making a living off of it. You know, it's yep. great movie. Give it another watch. Have another go. What's next for you? So next up, I would be amiss if I did not include this movie because, um, 
Well, quite honestly, I have actually not met anyone like this, even though I have to say everything about this movie is 100% accurate. Clueless. You know, I was really damn close to adding that, so I'm not hating at all. I love that movie. This is one of my favorite comedies of all time. And it was probably like when I saw it as a kid, it was probably my first and maybe to a lot of people still might even think if they've never been here that this might be what it's actually like. Yeah. The language that's used. I actually personally can't really think of an example of where I've actually seen to to the extreme behavior of of this world. Mm-hmm. It, it, it absolutely rings true. And it's so crazy because it's very over the top. It's very exaggerated. But there is a very, very like diluted element to that <laughs> that type of world out here. It's a good kind of follow-up. A good predecessor to that is Valley Girl, which I've mentioned to you. Yeah. 1983, Nicolas Cage. Like that kind of really popular, totally, it really popularized that type of talking and then it kind of became part of the culture like bitching totally it did and that's in clueless a lot but like the the argument they have when they're leaving the party like i'm gonna take share homes i'm gonna take this road and this road and this road like i've heard people have those arguments oh yeah i think my favorite line from that movie is from paul rudd when it just it jump cuts to her driving and he goes hey james bond in america we drive on the right side of the road <laughs> She's like, you try, you try driving in heels and platforms. Oh, platforms! Great call. I'm so glad you included that. We are not stuffy assholes here on the What Are You Watching podcast. We love Clueless. Absolutely not Clueless. I got made fun of when I bought Clueless on DVD at a Best Buy when I first moved out here because it came in a pink box. Well, whoever made fun of you was an asshole. <laughs> but my favorite line from that movie, because I believe this is absolutely true. As we talk about how many hours you spend in traffic and things like that, uh, there's a line where Cher's talking to her father, and he's like, Cher, everywhere in L.A. takes 20 minutes, and he's actually right. (laughs) If it's a certain time of day, it's very true. It does. If there is no traffic or no anything, it actually, like, driving-wise, it will only take you 20 minutes to get from place to place. All right, let's keep it going. We did not rank these. We were clear about that up top, but if we did... This would be my number one favorite L.A. movie of any category, period. And that is Mulholland Drive by David fucking Lynch. Love everything about it. It has mystery, magic, horror, humor. It's insane. It's beautiful. It's terrifying. Mulholland Drive calls back to a lot of the movies we've referenced. Definitely calls back to Sunset Boulevard. Even The Long Goodbye, I think, a little bit. But it's a perfect movie to me. It's perfect Lynch. I think that one is going to live on. For a very, very long time. 100%. I couldn't agree more. I love that movie. I'm actually in a Lynch kick myself. Uh, like, kind of going back to one of those themes that I, that I feel kind of circulate for me in terms of what Los Angeles really feels like. There's probably no better example of removal of reality than Mulholland Drive. Mm-hmm. Great pick. Great call. That Naomi Watts scene where uh, it's the audition. Holy shit. Yeah, that's one of my favorite pieces of acting on film I've ever seen. We talk about this. We haven't really talked about it on the podcast, but there are certain scenes that you can go back and watch and you can go. That's what made that person a star because Naomi Watts was she had been in stuff, but that movie was a very purposeful, intentional announcement for her. And that scene is like, oh, this woman's going to be in my life for probably like the rest of my life as, as an actor. Like, this is great. One of my favorite actors to watch is her. I think she's incredible. I love her. Yep. 
What do you got next? All right, if we're going to round it out to number one. Oh, man, I'm, I'm very excited about this one. This movie, to me, is everything about my personal Los Angeles, and that is Under the Silver Lake. This is great. <laughs> Came out last year. This movie, to me, is everything. You know, and it's also the way that this happened, too, because I remember I, was, I had, like, a me day. And I went out to uh, my favorite place in Los Angeles. Uh, shout out to the Desert Rose on Hillhurst. Who told you about that place? That'd be the big hoss over here. Oh, there you go. All right. All right. <laughs> and so I, I was like, you know, like the day was ahead of me. I was like, it's a beautiful day. I'm sitting with a hookah. I'm doing some writing. And I was like, you know, I'm going to go see a movie. I'm going to go to the Arclight. And I'm going to go see this movie under the Silver Lake. I had heard a bit about it. I knew it was delayed for a long time. And then the trip that this movie took me on from start to finish, it just hit home for me in the best possible way about who I am in terms of my relationship to this city because um, it's in my blood. And when I talk about this happy, curious, enchanted loneliness, this is that movie. Andrew Garfield's performance in this movie is one of my favorite things to watch because he has this removal from the world. And but the way that he sees everything is the way that I see it. Like I see it with just sort of like a, huh, wow, I can't believe that's happening in front of me. All right, fine by me. <laughs> and but he's just wandering, and he's yeah, he's got. I mean, the movie is crazy, and it goes off in all these different places that don't really make a lot of sense. But I don't care because the locations, the um, everything is so specific to where I live and. I could not feel more attached to a love letter for my personal relationship to the city than Under the Silver Lake. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. And that's what it is. It's a really good love letter. And I, some of the criticism I saw for that movie was that Andrew Garfield's character wasn't believable and he was so just kind of lost and aimless and it wasn't a believable portrayal of a guy. That's bullshit. Yeah, I wanted to be like, (laughs) and that's just not true because there are, a lot of aimless dudes in LA like walking around not having any real direction or movement and then maybe they get some and they kind of go off on this little tangent for a week or two and you're like where are they at I don't know who the hell knows they're digging something up but it's a really good love letter it's a challenging movie it's made to be challenging but there are aspects of it that are really realistic like the apartments in it are actual apartments that people yep making that level of money would live in or lack of money So good call. I have one left that we don't need to talk about extensively because we already have, and that is Somewhere by Sofia Coppola. Oh, great. We did a deep dive into this movie in episode seven of the podcast, but it, to me, captures LA magic as good as any other, and we talked a lot about it, so that's that's all I'll say about Somewhere. It's the sweet side of Los Angeles. It is, absolutely. So that was like, yeah, that was about 10 from each of us. Do you have any, like, wild card la movie you want to throw out just for like fun i have one all right throw it out there yeah i got one i got one this is no bullshit i love this movie (laughs) last action hero by john mctiernan oh great call there are so many things about that movie that represented my first exposure to los angeles to movies to the business i had never seen famous people in a movie talking about other famous i'd never seen something meta before and it was so cool to be like no dude you're Arnold Schwarzenegger. You're not Jack. Like you're, and it was so interesting to me. And final thing about this is this movie, along with Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, 
were my legitimate first exposures to Ingmar Bergman, who's now my favorite director. So wow. if you think there's nothing to gain from Last Action Hero, you will see death from the seventh seal walk off of the screen <laughs> into real life. Yes. And it is great. So I got I, I got one. The reason I thought about this one was because it kind of brought up everything that that we talk about in this is a uh, kiss kiss bang bang yeah that's a great one it's got the humor it's got the um the removal of reality it's got the curious happy everything and um it's noir <laughs> that's a lot of good la movies right there we missed a ton we mentioned nightcrawler valley girl but i mean there's drive there's jackie brown there's I mean, there's Get Shorty. There's it, it doesn't end. There's so many. And one final thing I want to mention about the L.A. discussion before we get to what are you watching. In terms of talking about the magic, shortly after I moved there, I was on these like lists to get invited to movies. That's how we saw Neon Demon, shit like that. I got invited to the premiere of Labor Day with Josh Brolin, the Jason Reitman movie that like very few people saw and wasn't, wasn't that great. It wasn't well reviewed, but... I got to see it and Josh Brolin did a Q&A after and it was on the Paramount Studios lot right in Hollywood and I had never been there. You had to go through security to get on. And then when it was done, when the screening was done, they didn't escort us off the lot. So it was like 9 p.m. on a Wednesday and I'm in the back lot of Paramount just fucking walking around by myself like almost. Well, OK, I'll just be honest, like getting emotional, walking around going. Yeah, that's where they filmed that actor doubling is Robert Duvall walking in the Godfather. Like that's what, and I even ran into some security guards and just said what I was doing. And they were like, all right, that's cool. And they like, didn't mind. I didn't go into anything. I just walked around, but that's some of the movies we've talked about really do capture that. Like, wow, there, there is a magic here it can be a little hidden, but it is here. Yeah. I love that. That's great. So now what are you watching? I'm going to go first. I actually stayed on theme. Los Angeles plays itself. Oh, yeah. This is a documentary made in 2004 by Tom Anderson. It's a really unique documentary that uses clips from movies that were based in LA. And it basically tells the story of the film business in Los Angeles from the birth of it up until now. And it only does this using narration and film clips. The movie was made in 2004, but wasn't released in 2014 because it was a rights nightmare. I, I guess Anderson didn't fully have the legal rights to use all the movie clips he did, so it took 10 years to sort all that out. It's three hours long. It's a long sit, but it's really, really interesting. It used to be on Netflix. It'll pop up like now and again on this or that, but Los Angeles Plays Itself is, is a cool doc to check out if you love movies based in LA. Great pick. Yeah, I was actually, um, it's the, it's your recommendation is essentially what I'm going to watch next. Because I need to see that. You'll like it. You'll like it a lot. What about you? What do you got? Um, I'm going to pick uh, the favorite movie of a friend of mine that I had met out here in Los Angeles. And it's a movie that we actually didn't get to talk about, which I'm kind of glad because I can save it for this. So shout out to uh, John Craig. Uh, True Romance. <sighs> great. Great Los Angeles movie. Great 90s. Just a great movie. If you haven't seen this, this is peak 90s this is another note perfect movie it's true romance tony scott firing away um limitless amazing cameos by people who some of which were like kind of famous then and then are huge now it's i put that one on two months ago and was like yeah it's still great there's nothing about it that's aged like at all i love it i love everything about it it holds up it's a great choice so 
next episode, I'm actually going to tease this one out. Our next episode will be on our favorite movies from 1999. And we are going to save a little section for the end of that of our favorite L.A. movies made in 1999, a few of which we've already mentioned. So look out for that. As always, thank you for listening and have fun watching. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening. You can check out my flicks and my movie blog at alexwithrow.com. NicholasDostal.com is where you find all of Nick's film work. Nicholas Ali does the music for our show. I've made a few music videos with Nick. He's a great guy and we love his tunes. Big thank you to him. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at whatareyouwatchingpodcast at gmail.com. Next time, we're going to dive into the most influential movie year of Nick and Mine's lifetime, 1999. Ton of great films to talk about here. Stay tuned. Okay, here we go. Oh, I wanted to tell you I was watching uh, The Rock, like, the other night, just flipping through. And he just fucking puts the thing in his mouth and he spits it up. I'm going to choke my million bucks out of you. (laughs) Choke on this, you fuck. Okay, let's get started. All right, let's get started here.